Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Mom and Dad Are Fighting is sponsored by Stone Reset by Gemvara. Transform old jewelry or a loose gemstone into a new design setting that you'll love. Choose from a variety of beautiful designs or customize your own. And right now, get 15% off the Stone Reset of your choice at stonereset.com slash momanddad. That's stonereset.com slash momanddad. And by Macmillan, a publisher of children's books including The Skunk. It's Man vs. Skunk in this deadpan picture book from Mac Barnett and Patrick McDonald. The Skunk is on sale now from Roaring Brook Press. And by Sherry's Berries. Treat your mom to something sweet this Mother's Day with a gift from Sherry's Berries. Fresh berries dipped in chocolate start at $19.99. Visit berries.com, click on the microphone, and use the code MOMANDDAD. That's berries.com and the promo code MOMANDDAD. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, April 23rd, the Baroness edition. I'm Allison Benedict, an editor at Slate and the mom of Harry 6, Sam 4, and Wally 2. And I'm Dan Coyce. I'm also an editor at Slate, and I, I am the dad of Harper, who's 7, and Lyra, who is 9. Hey, Dan. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Good show last time when I was Thanks. Gone. I hope nice you job. enjoyed your wonderful time in Naples, Florida, where they don't have any bars open past 9. <laughs> we found one. Uh, A great bar. Actually, that should be my recommendation today. (laughs) Um, On today's show, we'll talk to writer and mother Kimberly Seals-Allers about child support and why she decided to forgive her ex-husband's nearly $40,000 debt. Then, child freeness. Writer Megan Dom will join us to talk about her new book, Selfish, Shallow, and Self-Absorbed, 16 Writers on the Decision Not to Have Kids. Also, Parenting Triumphs and Fails, a listener call about pacifiers, and recommendations. 
And for our Slate Plus segment, Slate product manager Heidi Moon, the mother of an 11-year-old daughter, will tell us about an amazing parenting triumph or heartbreaking fail. But before we get to that announcement, Stan, happy one-year anniversary of Slate Plus to you. Thanks. Yeah, it's our one-year birthday. In fact, it's our one-year birthday yesterday as of our recording day was this to the Tuesday of this week. Um, and if you are a fan of Slate and Slate Podcasts, you should join Slate Plus in honor of our one-year birthday. You get bonus podcast segments on this and other of our most popular podcasts at Slate. Um, and we are celebrating our one-year anniversary with a raft of new stories and bonus features for our members. Leon Nafok is writing the definitive Nirvana bootlegs and B-sides playlist. Our Interactives editor, Chris Kirk, is making a members-only Slate podcaster catchphrase soundboard. And soon we will launch an amazing Slate Academy, a nine-part members-only podcast series on the history of slavery in America, featuring Rebecca Onion and Jamel Bowie. To join the thousands of members already supporting Slate, please go to our special URL, slate.com slash fighting plus, and join. Okay, great. On to triumphs and fails. Dan. I have a triumph this week. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we have been reading Harry Potter to Harper at bedtime. We read her like a couple of pages each night. Sometimes we get really ambitious and we read a whole chapter, but usually we're so tired that we would never make it through an entire chapter. She has been interested in the stories, but she has not been like passionately excited about them yet. Mostly she just asks like a lot of clarifying questions. Like she'll interrupt in the middle of a chapter that isn't about the Weasleys at all to just be like, what grade is Percy in? And I feel sort of bad for Harper sometimes on the reading tip. Like she is actually, I think a really good reader, but she sort of, I think she discounts reading in her life because she sort of feels like the role of the reader in our family is already occupied by Lyra, who has been praised for it for as long as Harper can remember. Yeah. But so anyways, we're on Chamber of Secrets right now. And last night was the first time that she got that Harper got really, 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 really excited about the story, like laughing and screaming and hiding under the covers. Uh, and I'm counting it as a triumph for me because I feel like I really gave my all to that performance last night. Um, we are at the part where Ron tries to curse Malfoy with his broken wand, but the curse backfires, and then Ron ends up barfing slugs all over the place. And I really sold it. I made a lot of disgusting slug sound effects and everything, and she was so grossed out, and she was very upset on Ron. On behalf, um, and so I'm going to take J.K. Rowling's triumph for my own triumph. Excellent performance, Dan. Do you, do you read to them separately, or does Lyra just read to herself now? Lyra just reads to herself and would rather die than have someone read to her. Oh, okay. I look forward to that phase. Okay, I also have a triumph. Yay! As a typical triumph, it starts with a fail, but. So a few weeks ago, it was time to, time to sign Harry up for the spring session of his school's after-school clubs. And normally, I'm super on the ball about this. I don't know how it works for you guys, but registration for a new session of clubs always starts at 9 a.m. So I go over the club options the night before with Harry, and I usually just stay home that morning instead of going into the office so that there's no chance I'll be stuck underground on a slow-moving subway when the mad rush to sign up begins. However, this time, I totally forgot completely forgot, did not talk it over with Harry, did not remember to log on to the sign-up page until I got an email from my friend at around 10 saying, what'd you sign Harry up for? And of course, oh, I man. freaked out. I think I like yeah. let out a whale and everyone at Slate thought something actually terrible had happened. <laughs> um, so at that point, I had two options, and I'm curious what you would have done. I could wait for Harry to get home from school that day, 
and then talked to him on the phone about what clubs he wanted. But at that point, there would probably only be a few with slots still open, the bad ones, the lame ones, piano, or I could just make the decision without him making informed choices based on what I know he's interested in and likes to do. What would you have done? I would definitely have signed up for whatever clubs I thought he would be interested in. Okay, so that's what I did. I did the latter only with a slight twist. When I got to the registration page, I found myself hovering over the words Friday and basketball, which Harry does not have any interest in. And then I clicked and I paid. (laughs) Harry, as I mentioned before in the show, I think he's actually kind of scared of sports. He never wants to participate in family soccer games. And whenever I ask him you want to sign up for soccer or basketball or baseball? He always says no. But I went ahead and did it anyway because I think he should try new things. And if he hates it, he'll never have to do it again. But he'll never really know, right, if he hates it, if he doesn't try it. And I want him to be comfortable around group sports, even if he doesn't ever love them or isn't good at them, which I don't really care. I mean, probably a little bit of me wants him to love them and be good at them, I'll admit. But generally, I don't care. That's my pose. Anyway, when I finally, I didn't tell him for days because I was scared. (laughs) (laughs) When I finally told him, uh, he objected and he was pretty upset. But then the next few days we spent kind of working on it. John took him out back to throw around the ball and he also brought a throw around a baseball, which he does like to do with John. But then he brought a basketball out back and they did a little dribbling and he seemed pretty into it. And I showed him some YouTube clips of like dunking contests, which maybe isn't a great thing to do. Cause no, no, he'll yeah. definitely be doing that in his after school class. <laughs> you should he prepare him. them. And then he finally had his first basketball class last week and he loved it. He's hey, like, hey. he's super into it. He keeps begging us for, he wants to buy jerseys. He's really into like the, the stuff more than the sure. sport, I think. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to call this one a triumph and some might call it pushy parenting. I forced my child to do something he didn't want to do, but that I thought was important for him to at least try. And it worked out. No, that's just called actual parenting. No, good job. Good job. (laughs) Thanks. Okay. Before we get to our first guest, let's talk about our first sponsor, Gemvara. We all have jewelry that we love but don't really like. Rings that have sentimental value but are just not our style. Now there's a really easy way to transform a piece of jewelry that you love because of who gave it to you or how it came to be yours into a ring you really love and want to wear because it looks so good. Stone Reset by Gemvara. Using Gemvara's Stone Reset, you can turn old jewelry or a loose gemstone into a new design setting you'll love to wear. StoneReset.com has a variety of beautiful designs to choose from, and it's super easy and fun to customize a design you like with your favorite metal and accent stones. Gemvara is offering 15% off for mom and dad or fighting listeners. So go to StoneReset.com slash mom and dad to get the special listener deal of 15% off. Just fill out the form to get a prepaid insured kit then click request package. Remember, that's stonereset.com slash mom and dad. Okay, on to our next topic. On April 4th, Walter Scott was pulled over for a broken taillight in Charleston, South Carolina. He ran and ultimately was shot and killed by the police. Why did Scott run? His family believes it's because he was behind on his child support payments, payments he had been unable to meet for some time, landing him in jail on several occasions and costing him jobs, which only made the payments harder to make. Scott's death has reignited a debate about child support. What should men, and it is almost always men, be obligated to pay, and what does it mean to support your children? Today, we're joined by Kimberly Seals Allers, who recently wrote in the New York Times about her decision to forgive her ex-husband's debt. Kimberly, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thank you for having me. 
So first, what was your experience with child support and why did you decide that you no longer wanted that money from your ex-husband or as you call him in the piece, your husband? (laughs) (laughs) It is one of my favorite words. Um, Well, first of all, I just want to say like my 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 experience with the system, quote unquote, the court system began obviously during the divorce and somewhere during the divorce process, it became very clear to me that the system was not set up to protect mother and children. And that was really my personal experience. And so I always, you know, was really trying to focus on what was best for my family versus what the courts often want to try to dictate in the legal system, et cetera, et cetera. So just want to understand that this decision was really an evolution of, you know, kind of being in quote unquote, the system through other areas of, you know, through the divorce and then child support and just kind of having these constant frustrations. So, what was clear to me was that my ex-husband, who is, you know, of um, British-born, and he, we, we moved to this country, and it was difficult for him to really get his solid ground um, and work. And so there was it didn't seem make sense to me that someone who was trying but was unable through, you know, economic times, you know, workforces, changing cultures, et cetera, et cetera, to provide should be penalized when they were doing their best. And I think that's the important distinction. I did feel that he was really trying and that he always paid something, even though it was not the amount that the court, um, I should say he usually paid something, even if it was not the amount that the court had said he needed to pay. So as I mentioned in the piece, he was accruing arrears from underpaying or not paying. And so it became a very... You know, frustrating circumstance to see, you know, the, the penalties. So, for example, driver's licenses being threatened to be removed. Well, then how will he go and look for work if he doesn't have a driver's license? That's not beneficial for my children if he can't get to work or look for work. Um, and so it just became clear that some of the punitive measures, which are meant to, you know, obviously penalize fathers, were also penalizing the children. And that's not what I really wanted to see. You focused on a specific moment the last June, your daughter was graduating from middle school and your husband, your ex-husband, could not attend because of being in arrears for child support specifically. And that was what spurred you, it seemed like, to make this final decision. Yes. So that was really that, that kind of defining moment. So begin, you know, after his time here, he moved back to England. And so my daughter was graduating from middle school, wanted desperately for her father to be here. And in the process of us you know, figuring out how we could make that happen, they became a very real concern about the threat of arrest warrants and, you know, could he be stopped at the border? Now he has a new family back home. Could he be stuck here? So it became very complicated. And so I wanted to figure out what I could do to kind of remove that threat um, really for my daughter's sake. And also to be clear that even even once moving back to his to England, he continued to pay what he could on a regular basis, but really this was about my children. And so, you know, as I mentioned the piece, you know, sometimes we have to really remove the emotion that's often attached to money. There is nothing that I wouldn't do for my children to be happy and to have their moments, especially something like graduation with both their parents there and all those things that are so important to a child. So if it became, you know, what I had to do to remove these threats was what was standing in the way and then I was just willing to do it, and it seemed really simple to me. So child support laws, like punitive child support laws, like your ex-husband was contending with, seem to have come out of this notion about the deadbeat dad, that there are all these dads living high on their own and not giving money to their ex-wives and children. 
But another Times piece this week cited a 2007 Urban Institute study saying that 70% of the money child support debt was owed by people who reported less than $10,000 a year in income. And they were expected to pay, on average, 83% of their income in child support. So this this idea of a high living debt beat debt is largely a myth. I'm curious what you think is like would be a better system. I'm assuming you would like you would have liked some money or some or support in, in you know in other forms. Mm-hmm. Right. So there definitely has to be another system. And um, some of the obviously socioeconomics are a huge factor in this whole conversation. And one, I want to make the very, very important distinction that I put on the piece between the unwilling and the unable. If you are unwilling to pay your child support, you absolutely need to be in jail and for a very long time. But we have to figure out a smarter way to deal with those who are unable for various reasons. And I think that you know, in many other areas of our life, we look at other types of currencies, as I call it, right? We will often say time is money. We accept that. You know, when, when I negotiate for my job, I look at things beyond compensation. I mean, actually, the dollar amount as part of my total compensation, because we know there are other benefits and perks that are important to us that are beyond just our salary. So in many other areas, we have been able to look at, we have, there are many cooperative supermarkets in, in Brooklyn. So we have been able to look at other ways of trading off um, value, um, but we haven't done this with fathering, and it's a, it, it's, I think it's a disturbing trend, and I feel that perhaps there is a way to say to those who are unable but willing, if you cannot provide money because of circumstances or whatever, then what else can you provide of support to that child? A child needs a lot more than just a father's you know, check. A child needs to be read to. A child needs to be supported at school and someone to show up for bake sales and things like that to make a child feel good. You know, there are things around time. Obviously, for me, as I mentioned, um, because of my work, child care was a important thing that, you know, we worked very well on for him to take the children so that I could go and take trips or travel or work late or whatever. So there have to be other trade-offs, and we can't reduce fathering um, and whether someone is deadbeat or not down to only whether they have cut a check or made a payment. Um, I think that part of the system is extremely dangerous when we are minimalizing the role of fathers, um, particularly non-custodial, obviously, to their monetary contribution. That, I think, needs to be addressed. You say in the piece that when you mentioned this to your single mom friends, a lot of them looked at you like you had just betrayed them. Have they have they seen the light a little? Do they read this piece? Have you heard responses from them since this? Well, some of them, yes. I mean, because they have seen that little bit. I mean, obviously, this goes back to emotion. And unfortunately, the more important message that I want to talk about, as well as about the fathers, is the role of mothers in not being those gatekeepers to their children, um, between the father and the children because of their own emotional issues. It is very, very hard, and I, I don't claim to be an expert. You know, I've spent a lot of time and reading lots of books and a little bit of therapy to help me get there. But, you know, to be able to really not look at that man and with all the hurt or the feelings that you have and separate that from what his value is to his child. And so I think that that's the message that I wanted my single mom's friends to get. Like, this wasn't about... The money. It was about my children, and that should always be our focus. And also, I acknowledge that, you know, I have a certain amount of privilege that allows me to say, well, I mean, honestly, I probably will never see it anyway, but, but for me to say, you know, <laughs> let's not let this money stand in a way, you know, trying to get blood from a stone for the sake of saying that I had this, you know, debt owed to me, it, it just didn't make any sense. So my single mom friends, 
get it, and I think they've been very encouraged. Particularly on Facebook, there's been a lot of mothers who have been, you know, sending me messages and leaving comments about how they are inspired and are, you know, rethinking their own levels of forgiveness and, you know, kind of letting their own emotions get in the way of, of the father's access to the children. And so that, to me, is really the payoff because, um, you know, I just feel very, very strong that when fathers are involved, and I'm a big daddy's girl, I'm a big daddy's girl. My parents have been married 56 years and counting, so I really treasure my father. And so, um, you know, for any child not to have that experience because a father is willing but simply unable would be a real crime. Okay. Thanks so much for joining us, Kimberly. It's a great piece. Uh, It's called Forgiving $38,750 in Child Support for My Kids' Sake on uh, on the New York Times. We'll put it on our show page. Thanks, Kimberly. Thank you. All right. Now it's time to discuss our second sponsor. This week's Mom and Dad are Fighting is sponsored by Macmillan, a fine publisher of children's books. And we want to focus on a brand new picture book that a Macmillan subsidiary is publishing. It's called The Skunk. It's Man versus Skunk and this deadpan picture book from an all-star pair. Two-time Caldecott nominee Mac Barnett, who you may know from his amazing picture book Extra Yarn, and Caldecott honor-winning artist Patrick McDonald, who you, of course, know from his comic strip Mutts. When a skunk first appears in the, in the tuxedoed man's doorway, it is a strange but possibly harmless occurrence. But then the man finds the skunk following him, and the unlikely pair set off on an increasingly frantic chase through the city, from the streets to the opera house to the fairgrounds. What does the skunk want? It's not clear, but soon the man has bought a new house and a new neighborhood to escape the little creature's attention only to find himself missing something. The skunk is totally charming. It is very funny. It's very, very well drawn, obviously, by Patrick McDonald, who is like a genius. Uh, and I found it a whimsical tale of existential dread. The skunk is on sale now from Roinbrook Press, a imprint of Macmillan Children's Publishing Group. Check it out. Okay. On to our listener call. Each week we take a listener call and try to answer it. If you have a question for us or one you'd like us to find an expert to answer, call us. Leave us a message at 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE. Now, on to this week's listener call from Paul. Have you guys talked about pacifiers? My wife and I have a four-year-old, and he just willingly agreed to trade all of his pacifiers for a toy, which he promptly decided he wasn't interested in. But now he wants his pacifiers back, and I say we should let him struggle through it and forget the pacifier and uh, my significant other is concerned that there'd be an issue maybe with the sense of safety he feels especially in the dark and she doesn't want to do any long-term damage he's a child that has everything and uh kind of want to make sure he's got some resiliency built into him what do you guys think thanks paul i do not think we've talked about pacifiers on this show uh, I'm kind of split on this one. So on the one hand, I, I'd like I'd actually like a little more information. I wish we could do one of those, like pick up the phone and call you, because I'm curious how long the span of time was between when he gave it up and when he wanted it back again. If it's been a while, then I definitely say do not go backwards. It's done. He'll get he'll be okay. If it was like he changed his mind the next hour <laughs> or the next day, I don't know. I mean, I'm sort of of the mind that you know, whatever they say, a teenage, you're not going to have a teenage kid dragging around a blanket or still wearing diapers or sucking on a pacifier. 
once he starts school or, you know, gets older in school and it's he's basically shamed out of it, he'll stop. So I guess I think if it's been a while, don't go backward. If it hasn't and he really wants it, I would say give it to him. Allison. <laughs> This Let me just say, I'm the, using of, a pacifier. I am the mother of two children who suck their thumbs. <laughs> one of and, and one child, not the baby, who drags around a blanket everywhere he goes. Okay, so <laughs> look, I I know that this will sound very judgy, but I think that this kid should stop using a pacifier, just especially suck it up. because Grow up, kid. No, stop sucking it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but th- especially because you guys made a deal, and you should stick to that oh, deal. Oh like, God, you, I'm so you glad made... you're not my dad. Oh my God, this is <laughs> you are the worst. You you made a deal with this kid. He got this toy just because he doesn't want the toy anymore. Slash, he realizes he really sort of wants his pacifiers. Does not mean you should back off of that. Like, look, all right. So, the actual harm from pacifiers is minimal slash non-existent. And Correct. as you say, Allison, he will not go to high school sucking on a pacifier unless that is what the cool kids are doing <laughs> when this kid goes to high school, pacifier, right? Yeah. Um, so, the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry warns that prolonged pacifier use could maybe possibly interfere with a child's bite. Some pediatricians note that having pacifiers and fingers in a kid's mouth all the time can make kids slightly more prone to colds, but whatever. Like, that stuff is extremely minimal. But mostly, I think, four is not too young to develop, like, a little bit of resiliency. You are not going to, as your partner is worried about, do long-term damage. At four, a kid really ought to be able to start to find his own ways to soothe himself when he's upset, and he ought to stick to a deal. All right, we didn't help you, Paul. <laughs> no, Who I hope like I gave more, you courage, Paul? Paul. Who makes more sense? Yeah. Okay, let us know what you decide to do. Email us. Okay, we have a new advertiser this week, just in time for Mother's Day, Sherry's Berries. Sherry's Berries delivers fancy dipped strawberries and other delicious dipped fruit to your friends and loved ones, or, you know, to your favorite mom on a parenting podcast. <clears throat> You can order strawberries sprinkled with sugar, strawberries covered in chocolate chips, and also special Mother's Day cake truffles. There are strawberry cheesecake bites and strawberry roses and pretty much any combo of chocolate and strawberry you can imagine. For mom and dad listeners only, Sherry's Berries is offering giant freshly dipped strawberries starting at $19.99 for Mother's Day. That's over a 40% savings. Go to berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com, click on the microphone and type in the code Mom and Dad, M-O-M-A-N-D-D-A-D. Thanks, Sherry's Berries. Uh, an editorial note, dads also like berries dipped in chocolate. Well, this is for Mother's Day. We're supposed to do this for Mother's Day. Oh. Sorry, dude. All right, on to our next segment. Last fall on the show, we talked about a great essay in The New Yorker called Difference Maker. In it, the writer, Megan Dom, wrestled with her own ambivalence about whether to become a parent. Allison and I had a pretty spirited debate about that very question. Should the truly ambivalent just go ahead and have kids, or should they maybe not? In the end, Meg and Dom decided not to. And now Dom has edited a wonderful anthology of essays about that very choice. It's called Selfish, Shallow, and Self-Absorbed, 16 Writers on the Decision Not to Have Kids. And she's joining us today in our New York City studio to talk about it. Hi, Megan. Hi. So uh, the collection is great. I really, really, really loved it. Thank you. Um, and the first question I have for you is about the impetus behind it and the way that a lot of the writers talk about the way that they f- feel that they are viewed by parents. By us. 
Not you. Not you guys. Yeah, by us personally. (laughs) The book is a response to our podcast. In one of the essays, Jeff Dyer observes a group of moms dropping their children off at, at like a super fancy school. And he complains that, quote, parenthood, far from enlarging one's worldview, results in an appalling form of myopia. Now, that myopia often extends to the way that parents view the child free. So what misconceptions about people who choose not to have children were you hoping this anthology would dispel? Well, I wanted to do the book for a lot of reasons. And I think the biggest one was to, just as you suggest, reframe this conversation, because so often... This idea of who chooses not to have children, who becomes a parent, gets boiled down to the question of who is more selfish. And that is just the wrong conversation to be having. I mean, we're all selfish, you know. (laughs) Saying you're selfish is kind of like saying you breathe or something. So, um, you know, what I wanted to do is invite a group of people to talk about how they came to make this choice and show really all the different paths that can be taken to making that decision. And, you know, to answer your question, Yes, I think that there is a lot of kind of there's there, there's not only an assumption uh, on the part of some parents that people who make this choice are doing so out of some kind of hedonism. That's a word that strangely comes up a lot or just sort of laziness or wanting to spend money on things like ex- expensive vacations. But there's also a sort of assumption on the part of the childless by choice themselves, that it's kind of better to just sort of say these things as excuses rather than talk about the real reasons. It's almost like it's more taboo to say, well, this actually just wasn't for me. Being a parent just isn't for me than to say, well, you know, I'd rather hit the snooze button. And that's what I wanted to change and and redirect in terms of the conversation. Yeah. One of the authors in the essays mentions that when people ask her about that, and of course, people always ask, everyone is always up in her business. And that's a real theme in a lot of these essays. She feels like they're basically asking, well, tell me your whole life story and philosophy on parenthood, which is actually a deeply complicated thing. So, yeah, she says it's just easier to be like, yeah, I guess I'm lazy. Yeah. And, you know, I've never really been tempted to give that as an answer. I've always been really interested in this subject and I've always actually been sort of proud of my ambivalence and now proud of my choice not to do this. But, you know, not everybody feels that way for sure. I'm curious about that pride because one of the knocks on or maybe this is actually just like a, a knock I feel of, my, of myself. But one of the knocks on parents is like parenting is all-consuming. It's like how we identify ourselves, especially mothers. Are, you know, Anna Holmes wrote in her piece for the book about how kind of she didn't want to be defined by as, as a mother. She's like a she's a human being. But do you think that people – you can only speak for yourself, I guess – but um, people who choose not to have kids are also defined by that choice? <laughs> By the, to themselves, I, like do they? Do you define yourself? Do you identify as a child-free person? Well, I don't like the word child-free for okay. starters, um, and I I respect anyone's why because why? it just yeah. it's well for one thing it's really jargony and I don't like jargon just as a rule I'm sort of allergic to it and it just sounds sort of like gluten-free or you know <laughs> this idea that you're free of something like it's this pest that you're that you're free of and but I, that I was in response to childless yeah I right? know I understand that and yeah. actually what I would love is to come up with a better term for this <laughs> I mean the problem is that I mean childless it's like how far down the rabbit hole of 
of semantics do you want to really get into? I mean, <laughs> I have not, childless by choice is a mouthful, and it's hard yeah. to put a hashtag on that, and it's just kind of hard <laughs> to like in this particular media climate to sort of impart that term. So the, the word child-free comes up. I don't think it is used in my book, in this anthology, in earnest, really, to any degree. The same way, you know, there's no talk of breeders, of brats. I really wanted to avoid all of those cliches. Yeah, but to answer your question about the all-consuming nature of parenting, I think we're in a cultural moment where that is, if not the case, very much the way we talk about it, particularly in the sort of urban circles, the park slopes and the silver lakes of the world. So, yeah, I think that there tends to then be this kind of like binary. It's like parents are supposedly all consumed with being parents and people who've chosen not to have children you know, perhaps it's assumed that we're all consumed with not having children, but that would be kind of difficult. I mean, if if your life as a a happily childless person is defined by not having children, I think that would be a very limiting existence. So my life at the moment is a bit defined by that because I'm going around talking about this book a lot. But no, other than that, I've got uh, other fish to fry. Yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't. I, yeah, I didn't mean that you don't have other fish to fry. No, meant, no, like, I know how you view. You know how you view your, like how you. I'm not talking about how other people identify you. I guess right. I'm thinking about like the things that you think about yourself. Like I am a, you know. No, I, I, th- I think about I think uh, many things about myself, and uh, not that. That's one. just uh, well, that's you know one of one of many. Yeah. Oh, man, the whole point of being childless by choice is that you don't have to think about yourself that way. You can think about yourself as a person traveling around the world and doing fun shit. Yeah, but see, this is the thing. This Dan, is the, this don't is fall no, into the but trap. but this is what, but this is like why I really wanted to do this particular book in this particular way. Because it's almost like if you've chosen not to have children, there's then this mandate to have like a really interesting life in italics. You're living and, for all of us. <laughs> that's right. No pressure. And that's great if you can manage to do that. Right. Um, but, you know, ultimately, we all just kind of live the lives that we can and want to live if we're lucky. And and what I want to do is sort of talk about the ways that parents and non-parents are actually partners in their communities and in societies and not adversaries the way, you know, the Huffington Post likes to, you know, they like to gin things up with headlines like, you know, I never knew, you know, I never knew love until I was a parent or, you know, my child has four legs and drinks out of a bowl on the floor. Like, you know, both of those, (laughs) both of those (laughs) lines of discussion are not productive. Oh, because it's a dog. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So part of the problem is that we don't hang out with each other, right? Like, do you, I mean, I, my life is generally spent socially with other parents. Yeah, well, I mean, most of my friends have kids. Do they? And Yeah. I mean, some of them don't, but most of them do because most people have kids. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, this is not a manifesto and I am not at all interested in convincing people not to have kids if they want them, if they're inclined to do so. What I want to do is change the way we're talking about this. So, yeah, no, certainly, like, most of my most of my friends have kids. We have kids over at our house. I volunteer with children. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of the writers in this book talk about their relationships with children, right. whether nieces or nephews or students, mentoring, whatever it is. And obviously, that's not the same as having your own child. But what I find 
really, I think, important to talk about are the ways that children can benefit from having adults in their lives who are not only not their parents, but not anybody's parents, and seeing that there are a lot of ways to be a responsible, compassionate adult in society, and that adulthood doesn't necessarily have to equal parenthood. Yeah, I think that's extremely crucial. Like, we have tried to make that a a big part of raising our kids, which is why we have a bunch of prop friends that we don't actually care about who don't have kids. (laughs) Well, you should have me over. Are you? Is that that an invitation? (laughs) Yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, It was really fascinating to me reading through these essays how many of the women writing these essays took great pains to explain that they actually really do like children. Yeah. Yeah. And how most of the men didn't didn't bother. (laughs) No, they. Yeah. Why do you think they why do you I mean do you think that there is a real assumption on the part of parents that people without kids hate children? I don't feel that way, but is that something that people really actually think or say? I don't think you guys are probably inclined to think that, but yeah, it's something that that you hear. It's just one of those knee-jerk sort of reactions. I mean, it's kind of like the pope saying, "Well, couples who don't have children are are hedonists." You know, yeah. it's like Actually, I would like to, you know, I would like to sit the Pope down and have a conversation with I I suspect that, you know, as a thoughtful Pope, (laughs) he probably wouldn't actually think that if you if you teased it out of him and had like a longer conversation. So it's kind of the same way. Like, I don't think that people when they really thought about it would insist that people who don't who choose not to have children hate kids. However, I think that in this moment in time to put a book out like this, it doesn't surprise me that a lot of the women felt compelled to to say that. And, um, you know, I had an interviewer said say to me, well, I feel like I'm being apologized to to some degree throughout the book. And I said, well, that's interesting because, you know, you're probably a fairly sophisticated reader who doesn't need to hear again and again that these women don't hate children, but there are probably a lot of readers out there that still need to hear that. And um, I would wonder if maybe like 10 years down the road, if some version of this book appeared, that message wouldn't have to be so front and center. So I'm curious where you think we are. Like, is stuff shifting? Because the book is sort of the first um, kind of big <laughs> hunk of, about this. But there have been in the past few years, I mean, I edited the women's section here for a while, and we had done several stories about, you know, the choice not to have children. And I feel like that's like a growing idea out there and acceptance of it is sort of changing. But I don't know if it's like the noise of parenting is louder. So then the noise of, you know, the like voices of right, non-parents are louder. Or... Yeah, I, there, it, it's kind of hard because, I mean, there are these st- statistics like one in five women will reach the end of their childbearing age without having children. It's very hard to figure out what percentage of those are not mothers by choice. So I kind of, I'm a little bit wary, you know, in talking about this in terms of statistics. So much of what's been out there around this has been, like I keep saying, like framed in terms of these punchlines. Like, I forgot to have kids, or I'd rather have a Manola Blahniks, or I'm a kid myself. And, and, (laughs) And I just feel like that was sort of that phase of the discussion. And I really hope that we can move forward and have like a larger discussion about what it means to make the right decision for yourself, what it means to be in your community in the way that you can sort of be the best citizen. And I mean, it sounds really, it sounds, it's, it is such a cliche, but it's also true. Like it does take a village. And I think it's worth thinking about how to be the best kind of villager you could be. No, I was just saying we had a somewhat similar conversation when we talked about Lauren Sandler's book, uh, My One and Only, about only having about only having one child and that decision being stigmatized. And her one of to me one of the most moving parts of her book was talking, yeah, talking about like 
making that choice in order to be like a more active participant in other ways in her community and not being, you know, not. And it's true that for I don't know about for you, Dan, I think you might be better at this balance. But at this point in my life, like I do, my focus outside of work is mostly on my family and I'm not like very engaged in in other parts of the world. So I get that. <laughs> but it makes perfect sense. I mean, ha- right, it's not having, a right or wrong. But it's having, and the thing is that like having children, being a good parent is really, really hard. So it's going to be, you know, when someone comes along and says, if they say in a certain way, like, hey, this is a dumb thing you're doing, or you didn't need to do that, or I'm not doing that, ha ha ha. Like, of course, you know, parents are going to get their backs up. That's very natural. So that's why I really, really in this book wanted to stay away from those sorts of extremes. And also, I mean, this is something that I think is so important, and I don't think is discussed enough. You know, there's so there is room for ambiguity on both sides of this decision. And what I really love about so many of these essays is that they do explore a sort of grief around this. You know, they they say, well, I made this decision and it's, it is the right one, but I'm not going to lie and say that I don't have like moments where I wonder if this was the right thing. I don't have like pangs of regret. I just, I think that there's like a lot of intellectual dishonesty on the part of parents and also people like me. I mean, there's just as I don't think the parent who says, I mean, maybe Allison, maybe you're the exception to this, but the parent who says, like, I love every second of this. I love oh, being no. home every I'm second. The I'm the exception like, of like, this. Like, I never, no, 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 I'm not, maybe. So, but you know, the, the sort of, just as I don't believe it for a second, if if a parent says, I this is joyous every day of my life, I don't believe the person who's chosen not to have kids who says, oh, I love not having kids every day of my life and I never regret this and I don't have any, you know, ambiguity around this at all. I mean, you know, it's possible to to sort of walk and chew gum at the same time. It's possible to have grief and a mourning period around a decision that you know is still the best one. Yeah, I think that's yeah. got to be the majority of people on both, both parents and non-parents. The ambiguity is, you know, I can't imagine that there are that many people that feel 100% confident that, like, we talked about this. Oh, I hear talk- from them. Well, on either side, they'll, they'll be in the I don't comments. Want to say side, but like, I guess. But we we talked about this when we talked about your New Yorker piece, and Dan and I disagreed, and I think you tweeted in favor of Dan, but, yes. which is fine. But like, you know, Dan's position was like, if you if you aren't sure, then don't do it. And my position was like, I don't. If you, I'm not saying if you aren't sure, do it. But it's I think not being sure is 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 a common thing. Like I wasn't sure, oh. and then. And then did it, so I, I sort of don't think there's like a rule. Oh or a well, line uh, yeah, no. That on that on that point, I think I I not I come down in the middle. Nobody is sure about anything. Right. I mean, there are plenty of people who say I never wanted kids, and then I had them, and now I love it. Like right. that's completely. Right. We hear that all the time, and that's totally legitimate. I think what what I what what I was maybe responding to. I mean, this is gets into something else. <laughs> like this this idea of like. You know, having this kind of like central sadness in your life. Right, I think every I, I think everybody has that <laughs> yes. if they're honest, no matter what you know their situation is. Yeah. So well, I mean, it was striking yeah. that in the book, even the blithest of essays, i.e., Jeff Dyer's, ends on a note of of a little bit of ambiguity about how about his actual feelings on this. I mean, he makes it clear throughout the entire essay that he's one of those people who is so happy he never had kids and he can't even imagine it. But then it does end on a little bit of a note to remind you that. No one is exempt from that central sadness, right. even if they still feel they made the right choice. Yeah, And because you don't know what you don't know, right? Right. Like for everyone. All yeah. right. The book is great. It is called Selfish, Shallow, and Self-Absorbed, 16 Writers on the Decision Not to Have Kids. Please check it out. And we have a lot of child-free listeners. Sorry, childless by choice listeners. <laughs> Other so term. Please... Write us with better terms. <laughs> Write us with a better term. Baroness. Yes, mom and dad. B-A-R-R-E-N. <laughs> 
Please email us. Yes, fair enough. At momanddad at slate.com. M O M A N D D A D at slate.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Megan. Thank you. It's fun. All right, recommendations. Dan, what do you got? Uh, I am recommending Into the Woods this week, but oh. not the Disney version, although mm. that is that, that version is out on streaming and DVD, and it is fine. It is not embarrassing. But I am recommending the original Broadway musical starring Bernadette Peters, which was recorded way back in, like, 1991 for great performances. Uh, and it is also out on DVD and streaming video, and it is so good. And so if you have kids who, for example, liked the Disney version or really like Once Upon a Time and you want to show them like the original great revisionist fairy tale, uh, stream this and watch it because they will love it, especially for the ways that it is different and better than the Disney version. For instance, when our kids watched it, I have never heard our children scream louder with delight than when they saw what happens to the narrator in Act 2, something that doesn't happen in the movie at all, but does happen, of course, in the musical. So check it out. Cool. All right. Uh, I have two recommendations. One, calling back to the intro of the show, I will recommend Harold's Place in the Gulf Coast Inn in Naples, Florida. Awesome. <laughs> if you're ever in Naples, Florida for spring break with your kids and you're looking for a bar to go out when the grandparents are watching your children, the Gulf Coast Inn in Naples, Florida is like one of the shittiest hotels I've ever seen. <laughs> but if you wa- you pull up and you're like, what, Allison, what are you talking about? And then you walk through the front doors and it's still shitty. And then you walk through the lobby and the door and the whatever doors, automatic doors part. And it's this amazing like outdoor, indoor poolside bar with a lot of locals. Harold's Place. Go have a beer. Uh, I'm going right now. I'm getting in the car. (laughs) I really, really loved it. And we're going to go there every time we go to Naples, Florida. Also recommending this is not a thing that you can actually do. This is a thing that you should not do. This is also a cry for help. I recommend not bringing your children to open houses and I'm soliciting advice for how to make house hunting fun for kids. If you have ideas, please, I implore you, email me, mom and dad. What is our email address? Mom and dad at slate.com. <laughs> yeah, mom and dad at slate.com, or just find my personal email address because I really need this advice. Uh, so, house hunting is going great, is what you're saying. <laughs> and that's our show. Please email <laughs> us at momanddad at slate.com with your thoughts about today's show, parenting tips, and suggestions for future topics. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and please call us with your questions at 424-255-7833. Thanks to our producer, Ann Hepperman, and to our awesome new intern, Jesse Chazen-Tabor. Our managing producer is Joel Meyer, and our executive producer is Andy Bowers. Mom and Dad are fighting as part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Thanks to our guests, Kimberly Seals-Allers and Megan Dom. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Allison. And thank you all for listening. I'm Gretchen Rubin. On this week's episode of Happier, we'll talk about why we should treat ourselves and why we should avoid the stumbling block of the fake self-actualization loophole. You'll find Happier at iTunes.com slash Panoply or at Panoply.fm. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. 
purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.